the Romans ever done for us. Hi, and thanks for downloading. I'm Ancient Blogger, and in this podcast I'm dealing with the theme of Romans marching, based on my own recent experience. I'll then be broadening this out and looking at the logistics of marching, which is guided by a fantastic piece of work by Stephen Kay. Finally, we'll move on to the Marian reforms, how marching featured in them, as well as a brief overview of what these were and what they might not have been. In this podcast, I also reference an article I recently put up on my website all about the march. The article was picked from the day and contained some screenshots to charts, graphs and all sorts, which I'll mention later. You don't need to have read it by any means, but if you're more interested, it's worth knowing that it's there to have a look at. This allows me to seamlessly mention my website, which is ancientblogger.com, and on it you can find links to my YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We'll start with my recent foray into what a kind person on Twitter described as experimental archaeology. In Brighton, there is a Heroes run each year, and this year I decided to don my legionary kit and march the five-kilometre race for Rise UK, a charity offering support for victims of domestic abuse. I did a brief vlog on my YouTube channel giving you a preview of the march. It featured what I'd be wearing and what I was wary about. For reasons best known to anyone who's watched a Final Destination film, I left the Pelham at home. Likewise, the Gladius, especially bearing in mind given the charity I was supporting. I should add that I have a Just Giving page, which I'll link here, but you can find it if you search for Ancient Blogger on Just Giving. So if you have a few coins spare, it'll really be appreciated. What I did sport was my Lorica Segmentata, helmet and shield. Due to injuries, I wore my running trainers, though as you'll hear, this didn't really fully prevent them. The entire kit I wore weighed 18.5 kilograms, which is a fair amount, and given I was expecting to take just over an hour, this was no mean feat. In the end, it went okay. The biggest bugbear wasn't the weight of the armour, but the shield. You see, it picks up any breeze, and this means you're either trying to push back or stop the shield being dragged sideways by a gust of wind. Now, I know that legionaries carried their shields on their backs, possibly for this reason, but on the day it seemed better to keep the pace of a tortoise rather than resemble one as well. A more modern addition was my Fitbit, which I used to track my time and heart rate. I repeated the route a few weeks later, just walking normally, and with the armour on the 5km route, it took me 58 minutes, which works out at 3.2 miles per hour, and I want you to keep this stay in mind. This was far quicker than I'd expected to be. Perhaps I had just a, you know, a good day of it. Without the armour, I was marginally quicker, coming in at 55 minutes. Based on this stat, you might wonder what the difference was. Well, it really shows when you look at my heart rate. With the armour, I burnt 670 calories, and my heart rate was average or around 140 beats per minute. Without it, I burnt 609 calories, and my heart rate was near 105 beats per minute. For those of you who've read the article I mentioned earlier and seen the screenshots of the readings, you'd have noticed that the without reading for my heart rate has an initially high reading. Well, I think that was due to my Fitbit being a bit too tight. Though I can take this out when looking at my heart rate, I'm unsure how many extra calories it gave my without reading when I walked the route. So the real difference in terms of calories expended during this would have been higher than just the 61 calories. The things I noticed, the first, was how noisy you are when moving. I imagine Segmentata is more guilty of this, as you have moving metal plates. Hamata, or chainmail, may not have made as much noise. The second, how it felt. As you imagine, I was sore the next day, very sore. So much so, I ended up having a sports massage, which involved an hour of having pressure points and knots located on my glutes and lower back, and then released. 
it was an hour of pain, but on the upside, I could move a lot more freely and less like the Tin Man. I know it may not look like it, but I regularly run and visit the gym. The following week was spent stretching, and even now I have had to take some caution on certain exercises, simply because I still feel a twinge or two, or three, or eight. If I do it next year, I'd like to try chainmail or hamata, simply to see how it differs in terms of functioning on the march. From wearing it in the past, chainmail fits far more snug, so the weight is applied more consistently across the upper half, as opposed to segmentata, which places the focus of the weight across the back of your shoulders. I do remember finding breathing more difficult in hamata, as you don't have the space under the armour as you do with segmentata. In any case, I've got plenty of time to think about it. So all of this data relates to an instance involving a 40-something chap walking in kit for 5 kilometres. How can we place this or contrast it in any way to a legionary on the march? Well, fear not. I stumbled across the work of Steve Kay, and I'll put a link to his website in the description of the podcast. Kay's work focuses on the logistics and energy expenditure for a Roman legionary of the 1st century AD in the context of a 29km march on a flat Roman road carrying 40 kilograms of kit. This website is dripping with sumptuous data, certainly worth having a look at. The debate over the pace of a legionary is a niche debate, but also a complex one. We only have Vegetius writing in the 4th century AD. He mentions that an army should march 20 miles in 5 hours at a standard pace. This is 20 Roman miles, which is around 18.4 miles, and taking 5 hours gives a speed of 3.68 miles per hour. Of course, armies marched at different paces for different purposes, and this is quite quick. My pace was 3.2 miles per hour, and Kay argues that the pace of a Roman legionary was 2.85 miles per hour, and this fits more within the modern army march pace of around 3 miles per hour. Kay also looked into the energy expenditure of a legionary on such a march. He even broke it down into legionary weight, from a 60 kilogram legionary to a 90 kilogram one. According to his workings, a legionary weighing 60 kilograms marching in the conditions he gives, again, that's 29 kilometer march with 40 kilograms of kit on a flat Roman road with a pace of 2.85 miles per hour, would burn around 2,777 calories. At the higher end of the scale, certainly where I would feature, a legionary weighing 90 kilograms would burn 3,288 calories. But that's just the march. And as we know, a, le- a legion didn't just turn up and book into the local Airbnb. In some instances, you might march between existing fortifications, but Kay imagines his legionary marching to a new location, where he'd need to build a basic camp. To get to your new camp, you would need to leave the existing one, and obviously, you won't all leave at once. Try getting around 5,000 people out of any structure, and I'm sure you can imagine the potential for chaos. It's within the scope of these neglected aspects of Roman military life, where you begin to appreciate why discipline was crucial to a legion, not just on the battlefield. Kay has it that moving an entire legion from camp could take an hour and 23 minutes in total. So our legionary is the first out, leaving at 7am. He'd arrive in the new location at 3.22 in the afternoon. He'd then need to get set digging out fortifications, ditches, ramparts, that sort of thing. This could take two to four hours, but our legionary wouldn't undertake this on his own. Presumably, as the foreign legionaries arrived, they'd all pitch in. But even so, it's tough work, if only for a short while. This extra work ups the calorie expenditure, and our 60kg legionary would expend 5,194 calories in total. At the other end, the 90kg legionary would come in at around 5,693 calories for a day's slog. To put this in context, the 60kg legionary would need to eat 20 Mars bars, the obvious food given its name. The 90kg legionary would require just under 22. I don't advise you do this, by the way, though it is tempting. Reading Kay's work heavily reinforced the importance of logistics. 
It's given me a greater appreciation of what the army could and could not do. It goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, this is one single experience a Roman legionary in the 1st century AD might encounter. Roman armies weren't continually on the move. They certainly had pride in how quickly they could undertake a march, and given the expanding empire they had, this was absolutely crucial. The army and legionary of the 1st century AD hadn't just appeared on the scene. The early Roman army of the 3rd and 2nd centuries BC were in stark contrast to it. Back then, the army was a force composed of a militia, which was regularly levied from Roman citizens. Depending on what you could afford to equip yourself with, as well as age, you might be a lowly skirmisher or a veteran spearman. Practically everything about the army was different. The paucity of reliable contemporary sources means we have a fog where we might have a clear line of development in the army, and it's set within this that the Marian reforms loom large. The term is a modern one, and bunch a number of changes which probably occurred over a longer period, and attribute them under Gaius Marius at the end of the 2nd century BC. It goes without saying, this is controversial, and much debate is had over what was generally introduced by Marius, what was merely formalised and everything in between. Gaius Marius most likely came from an equestrian family, meaning that, though he wasn't short of some denarii, he didn't have a family name which carried much weight. Still, he rose through the ranks, acting as both a legate and a legion, and rising to become consul, seven times in fact. The consulship was one on the back of betraying the family who had supported him through his early career, and this sort of political betrayal is common, but ironic given that he married Julius Caesar's aunt. If you have the time, I recommend reading Plutarch's Life of Marius, which is quite the roller coaster. Marius's ambition is where we see the best and the worst of him. He certainly excels as a general and a politician, but has no scruples of betraying or killing his rivals. My favourite Plutarch story finds Marius in a desperate situation. He has been usurped in Rome and has been hunted down by his enemies. Travelling through a swamp, he is eventually betrayed to the authorities at a place called Minturnae, which is south of Rome. By this point, Marius is in his late 60s and his renown intimidated those in charge who couldn't find anyone who'd kill him. Eventually they did find someone, and as the would-be assassin entered the dark hut where Marius lay, he saw flames shoot out of the old man's eyes and a voice boom out telling him not to kill Marius. The man fled from the hut. The authorities reversed their decision and sent him on his way. Sadly, Marius never factored in Scott Summers-type powers for his legionaries, but he was associated with one reform which yours truly, well and truly experienced a regiment of drills and marches, with a legionary carrying much of his own kit. Legionaries under Marius came to be nicknamed Marius's mules, and for good reason. Having legionaries march and build camp wasn't unique to Marius. Take Metellus, who Marius served under when in Africa. Salus writes that Metellus arrives to take command of the army in Africa, and he finds it sluggish, with plenty of traders, hangers-on and all sorts in camp. Anticipating an 80s film montage, Metellus clears out the traders and a non-soldiery from the camp before taking the legionaries on forced marches, at the end of which they construct a camp, a bit like the premise which Kay sets his 1st century AD legionary in. The next morning, they'll repeat the exercise, all of this set to an inspiring soft rock ballad, with Metellus nodding at the end. A second part of this, the streamlining of a marching legion by removing the hangers-on and reducing the size of the baggage train, might seem trivial, but using the work of Kay you can really understand how important logistics were to an army who used its feet to get around to increasingly distant locations. Kay estimates that the marching length of a single legion was 6,400 metres. Out of that, the legionaries only made up 1,962 metres. That's 30%. The rest of the column would have been composed of carts and animals moving supplies and equipment. These, as much as legionaries, needed feeding. Assuming there were near 1,300 of them, this means a daily food requirement of 12.8 tonnes. 
It's a lot of Mars bars. Presumably animals would have supplemented through grazing. And this might be why larger troop movements tended to take place during the summer, where animals could graze and more easily find fodder. Kay's figures are for the 1st century AD, so well after the marrying reforms, Kay's estimates are that the carts and pack animals stretched to 4.5 kilometres. If this was considered streamlined, we can only imagine how bloated the marching army must have been prior to it. A further marrying reform involved the type of soldier, and in more ways than one. Marius was said to have recruited the poorest from society, who previously could not serve, as you needed to supply your own equipment. It's probable that this demographic served in previous armies, particularly at times of crisis, but it may be that Marius really formalised this. The poor now had a career choice. The legion would pay, feed, clothe and give a pension. You'd also have access to decent health care through the surgeons who were always in camp. Okay, so the downside was being killed, but this wasn't exclusive to being in the army. Being poor in antiquity was very dangerous in itself. To recruit, the legion was a mini-state offering a range of support services. Little wonder then, generals would find themselves the figure of loyalty from those within, often above the loyalty they felt for Rome itself. Earlier Roman armies featured a range of soldier type depending on wealth and age. The poorest able to qualify were skirmishers, then came the Hestati, who were the young infantry, next up the Principes, the heavy infantry, and finally the Triari, the veteran spearmen. It's argued that Marius established the legionary, as you might now be familiar with, equipped Gladius, Scutum and Lorica, wealth and age, the trappings of class, were now redundant. Structurally, Marius used the cohort, a unit of 480 men in place of the previous maniple, which numbered 120. This is debated largely because later historians use the word cohort when referring to earlier armies. As with the marching drills, perhaps cohorts were used earlier, but Marius set them as his immediate strategic unit. Where we can find Marius's fingerprints was on the standards. The famous silver eagle became the standard of all legions, rather than the boar, wolf, eagle, horse and bull. If anything, the standardising of symbols symbolises the wider standardisation which Marius embraced in the reforms attributed to him, or ones we are more confidently implemented. I suppose the main lesson in all of this, something I have certainly come to recognise, is that the Marian reforms is a term commonly used, but is best done so, with some of the debates about them in mind. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my recollection and elaboration on some aspects of marching. If you're listening to this on iTunes, yeah, you know what I'm going to say, just leave a review. I'm on Twitter and thoroughly approachable, so any feedback you want to give or a simple hello, come find me. My Twitter handle is, unsurprisingly, at AncientBlogger. I'm always looking for new ideas, and if there's a subject area you'd like me to try something on, then just suggest. I'll always credit you, and it's nice to do something a bit different. Till the next time, keep safe and take care. Infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me!